0: Here, I do too. I love this. Some people think it's gloomy or saddening or frightful, but uh, it—I love this. Something get a big old bowl of chili, some tamales, turn the fireplace on. Boom. What what better life could you expect than that right there? So, um, so we are having the baptism tonight. You saw the announcements. Uh, We want you to uh, be out there with us. We we showed some different people on the screen. Um, last week about this, but we've got a lot more that are gonna be baptized in that and we're gonna be videoing that and showing you again next week. But we want you to be uh here tonight. I mean with us tonight at the Y. It's it's just up here behind the King Supers on Briar Gate as you go toward Powers. Well Briar Gate to Powers is behind the King Supers. So um, it's 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 gonna be a lot of fun. am looking forward to this. I, I don't think I'm actually baptizing anybody. I think everybody else is getting baptized by other people, which is okay, whatever. I don't care. So uh but it's, it's, uh, we're looking forward to it. We're going to have some refreshments and things like that. And uh, we, we can only be there a certain amount of time. So we do have to start right at uh, 4.30 with this. But uh, really looking forward to it. and hope you'll, you'll join us out there. I am going to be changing what I am talking about this morning. <clears throat> I may get back to this next week, uh, this message. But I do want to pull one verse out of this, or actually two verses out of this, uh, to read. And then I want to go a different direction with this. Something God's really just been put on my heart. Um, pretty heavy. And, and in fact, I, I was praying last night, God, I need you to confirm this to me uh, that, I'm, that I'm hearing you with this and I need to say this. And so since I've been teaching about this a lot lately, I, I thought this was a very easy way to do this. I said, God, I need you to confirm to me. I need you to have somebody give us a, a word of knowledge or prophecy or something this morning that uh, will help me know that this is what I'm supposed to be talking about. And uh, during first service, we had that happen. And it was exactly what I'm going to be speaking about, and so it's one of those things where you go, "Wow, that's kind of cool. God did that thing for us." And so, so I won't have to tell you what was said this morning because I'm gonna—it's my message. But um, the, to really say, "Okay, God, we—I need—we need this from you," and so I need you to really walk with them. This is going to be a little challenging for some of us in here to really to really process and get down into some of this, and also the quickness of, that we have to do it, which is just, you know, this morning. But going to um, Mark chapter 8, verse 35, I mean, now this, is, this was part of what I was going to speak of, this was just a little piece of what I was going to speak of this morning, but, it's, but it was a different direction, so I'm, I will revisit this again in the future. But verse 35 of Mark chapter 5, it says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? The, usually when we're, when we're thinking about this, and there, there is a little bit of the context here that this has to do with some attainable stuff, some kind of material something, um, finances or whatever the case is, but I really don't think it's limited. I think it's much, much bigger than this. There's a lot going on here in this, in this verse than just some kind of uh, goods that we could uh, acquire. And he's saying, if you try to hang on to your life, you actually lose it. I, I don't really think that's a a lifestyle that he's talking about. As um, I think it's I think it's a mentality. It's a it's a mindset in a total sense that it's it's something we could have. It's something that we could be that we're trying to hold on to. Whatever this is, that is us or whatever the thing. We we think about this. We'll we'll hear when the stock market crashes really big. We'll hear of uh, some stockbrokers or some financial advisors or something that take their own life during, uh, because of the loss, because of the portfolio change or whatever the case is. And then there'll be people standing around talking about it saying, well, I just don't understand that. They, they, they were that much about money that, it, that, it, that they took their life for that. And this is what I found, that we can do that in a category that is not attached to us, but it's challenging when there is a category in our life that exists like this that we don't go there. In other words, what I'm saying is if, if we don't have this huge, big portfolio and we're not worried about the financial crash, you know, we lose on paper, we lose millions of dollars or something, then we say, well, that was silly for them to hold on to that life and they, and they lost it all by trying to hold on to that. But we will do it in ways that are emotional and mental and spiritual, relational. We'll do the exact same thing, but it's in different categories. And so we, we think it's different. And I really believe that what he's saying is when you try to hold on to whatever you think is your existence, when you try to, 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 to not let that get outside of your control, in other words, turn it over to God, let God truly have it, when you try to hold on, and that can be, that can be things of your past, that can be your existence, that can be um, uh, relational things, it can be baggage of the past. I, I've seen this many times over the years. Where somebody has uh, some tragic event, something, uh, an abuse or something in their past, and they, they hold on to that. They won't let it go. They won't. And now in our thinking, we would say, well, of course you should let that go. Why would you want to hold on to it? It's just hurting you. It's hurting you spiritually, emotionally, mentally. But, but we do that. We hold on to this stuff. It's, it's amazing how easily that we do this. To our detriment. It, is, it hurts us. It hurts us to hold on to things like unforgiveness. It hurts us to hold on to things like abuse or, or, or some kind of mindset of who we, we are or not or whatever that can be you know, pushed into our world. And we will hold on to this and it's killing us. It's literally destroying us in spirit, mind, whatever the case is. And it's also destroying what God wants to do with us. This is the way that I think about it. <clears throat> is the, uh, if, you, if you've ever tried to teach your kids to swim, you understand this. Uh, you, you're, you're down in the swim pool. You know, you're in three and a half feet of water. And the child is standing on the side of the swim pool, and you're saying, jump. Jump to me. I've got you. You can do this. And they can't. It's in their mind, in their mind, you're going to let them drown. You're, there's no way that you are big enough. You know, they're like 25 pounds, and there's no way that you are big enough at, the, at like me, 180-ish pounds. There's no way that you're big enough <laughs> to catch them-ish, right? So, so then what happens is, is finally you convince them to jump into the water, and they jump into the water, and what do they do? Just, just wrap you up. I was a lifeguard for a little while as a um, late teen. They went into the Navy, and it, there was some very similar training in this that when you're out in water, swim pool, lake, uh, ocean, whatever the case is, you're in water, and you're trying to rescue somebody that's drowning, your, your um, biggest challenge when you come up to them is to keep them from drowning you both. You, you swim up to them, and they will wrap you up, and, and human nature does this. They think that they are saving themselves by climbing up to the top of you while pushing you under the water to do it. They, the human nature tells them that they're saving themselves, but what they're doing is they completely incapacitate both of you, and they will drown you both. And so you're taught, specifically, not as much as a lifeguard, you know, like with a seven-year-old kid, but, but when I was in the Navy, they would teach us that you, you actually need to get control of this situation, even if it means you have to knock this person out to do this. You literally need to knock them unconscious so that you can save both your lives rather than let them be in control of the situation and drown you both. And I, and, I, and I feel like, well, I just see it too often, that that's what we're doing in a spiritual, emotional, mental, relational, all kinds of different things going on in our life, is we are, we are destroying ourselves and, and oftentimes even... I'm taking down the person that's trying to help us or the group that's trying to help us or, or the church body that's trying to help us. And we keep people at a distance. We don't let them be the, the body of Christ, the family of God. We don't let them into our world. We don't let them uh, help us through these difficult circumstances. Now, on, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through a study. And this is where I want to take this next little part of Scripture from. We've been going through the book of Nehemiah on Wednesday nights. And we've been breaking it down. Uh, looking at all this stuff. Now, the story of Nehemiah is, is uh, Nehemiah, he's actually a, a slave, a captive uh, from the Medes and Persians um, after the, the Babylonians came in. This is when Daniel, they came in and captured all the Israelites. And then the Medes and Persians came in after that and captured them at the end of Daniel's uh, life. And then we, we're in the story of Nehemiah. It's about uh, three generations, four generations later. And it's the time of Esther. And we see where... Um, Nehemiah is going to go back to Israel and he's going to fix the walls. Seventy years before, they had fixed the temple and they were worshiping God, but the, the people around the area were coming in and attacking, doing all kinds of stuff because the walls were torn down. And so the story of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah is going to come back to Israel and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that they won't be attacked and they can worship God correctly. Now, what we're doing on Wednesday nights is we're taking Nehemiah and we're letting him represent the Holy Spirit to us and the broken walls are actually us. The brokenness is us and the brokenness in our lives and those kind of things. And so then what we're doing is we're looking at how the Holy Spirit rebuilds us through all of the different things that are going on in the book of Nehemiah. Now, with that said, I want us to jump to uh, chapter 4 in Nehemiah, and I want to look at something I think is very important. We went over this last Wednesday night, and God has just been really working on me that we, we need to hear this, that us as a body, because Wednesday nights is not quite as full as it is right now. And so we need to hear this. Uh, This is important for us. So there's some bad guys that are in this uh, story. A guy named uh, Sambalat, there's a guy named Tobiah and Gershom. And uh, these three guys are harassing and attacking, and mostly Sambalat, but they're uh, uh, harassing, and they haven't physically attacked. They don't actually ever physically attack the, um, the building, but they just do a bunch of yelling and, and, and saber rattling, posturing and those kind of things. And so the reaction to that is if Nehemiah is the Holy Spirit and, and these bad guys, we're going to let them be how Satan messes with our life. There's a lot of good things here that we can learn about how God wants us to be healthy and whole, but we, we resist it. We fight against it. Human nature says we wrap up the rescue at that moment, and you both end up drowning. And that's, that's we've, gotta, we've got to not do that. And so we're going to go to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. <clears throat> and start verse 1. It says, Sambalot was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian officers. Now the reason he says it in front of his friends and Samaritan officers is is because while he is trying to speak to the Jews, he is also making sure that his, his, um, his followers still believe he's in control and in charge. Now, there's one of the things that I don't think we process when it comes to spiritual warfare. In fact, we were talking about this a little Wednesday night. I would encourage everybody in here, there's a book by the name of, of uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis that you should read. You should read that book. It is, it's a book about spiritual warfare, and it's a story of uh, two demons that are conversing back and forth about the person that they this, the young demon has been assigned to this person to, to, to uh, take them to hell, to get them, to convince them that hell is their direction. And so he's writing his uncle, whose name is um, Screwtape, and he's Wormwood, and, and he's writing back and forth about temptation and issues and attacks and all this other stuff. It's, it's extremely uh, educational and very biblically solid about what spiritual warfare is and how Satan messes with this. And this is kind of what we're, we can see through this story is some of the ways that Satan tries to mess with us. Here's one of the things that happens. is Satan likes to be in control. and when he loses that control over us, he gets very upset. And he tries to make sure that we think he is still in control, even though he's not. He wants you to believe that he's in control, and he will, he will use every means necessary. And I do believe that even the way that this is said, that he says this in front of his friends and the Sumerian officers, that I believe Satan does that too. And I'm saying Satan in a, in a general sense, not the guy Satan, but the demonic influence that tries to mess with our life, demons and things like that, that have been assigned to us. And I believe that biblically is pretty accurate. That's the way it looks in the Bible, is that they are signed to mess with us by Satan. And so these demons, they don't want to lose control. They don't want to lose face. They want to be uh, in control and power and those kind of things. So this is what Sambalat says to these Jewish people that have begun the work of rebuilding the wall. They're walking through. They're doing all this stuff. They've already, the chapter before, they have already chose the areas they're going to work on. And this is interesting how everybody has a, a job. The rich people have jobs. Poor people have jobs. The merchants have jobs. The business owners have jobs, and this is spelled out in chapter three. Um, one family—it's a dad and four daughters—and he says, "Well, me and my daughters are going to work on this area of the wall. Male, female, young, old, everybody worked on this together, which is which is a body of Christ mentality. And again, the church doesn't do this well. Guys, we don't do this well here at Church of Bargate. Is is helping each other? I think we're a good church and nice to each other. That's not what I'm saying. But when it really comes to the difficult things, we keep everybody at arm's distance. And it's not always comfortable to just push in and try to help somebody that's going through something difficult. I, I saw a little meme this week that, that it's so much me. that the, It was about hugging and all the different ways you can def- deflect hugging, you know, kind of thing. My, my favorite little uh, uh, gif that I've ever seen is... Um, um, the, um, this guy, this girl tries to walk up and hug him, and he just oh, face plants her in his hand right there, just pushes her back and shakes her hand. That's me. That's me so much. So many times when people come up, hey, Pastor, I just want to, you know, not, not happening. Kind of thing. But I don't because you'll leave the church. So I, <laughs> I'll hug you. <ya. laughs> But there's, we do this relationally, we do this emotionally, we do this mentally. We keep people at an arm's distance when in reality, we need to learn to open ourselves up to people. Not everybody, I understand that. But certain people in our lives that we build these relationships where I can truly sit down and interact with somebody about some bigger things going on in my life. We've trained ourselves not to do that. We teach ourselves. In fact, here's the easiest way to prove it. You say, no, that's not me. I okay, here's it. when you say to somebody, you're just, you're just walking by somebody, you say, hey, how you doing? And they say, my life is not good right now. You cringe. Right? Because you don't really want to know all that. You wanted them to say what? I'm fine. I'm okay. Just whatever, you know. Hey, how you doing? Or here's the, here's the easiest one. When you say, hey, how you doing? And they say back, hey, how you doing? That's perfect. Nobody had to answer that question. We're all good. And we keep people at distance. We don't want the interaction. But the body, that's what it's for. The, the reason that the imagery, that the visual picture is the body is because the, the, the blood of Christ flows through all of us together. Not separately, but through all of us together. As a body together, That we're growing and developing and staying healthy together. So he says to the Jewish people, Sanballat the bad guy, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think that they're doing? This, this, <clears throat> this is very important that we see this. If you just take this one sentence and, and separate from everything, I'll just take this one sentence and focus in on this. It's important that you see this. The reason that Sanballat says this sentence is because he does not believe the sentence. Think about what I'm saying. If he really believed that they were a bunch of poor, feeble Jews, he wouldn't even be out there at the wall seeing what they were doing. He wouldn't care. He would assume they couldn't build the wall. You can't get the job done if you're a bunch of poor, feeble people. You can't get it done. The reason that he takes his time to go the distance of getting out to the walls, and this wall is about two and a half miles around. So even as he's walking around saying this to different people, this is taking a lot from him. The reason Sambalat has taken his time and his energy to go out and tell them that they are poor and feeble is because he knows they're not, and he's scared to death they're going to build the wall. And what's the end of the story? They build the wall. So he comes out and he tells them, you're a bunch of poor, feeble people that can't get the job done. Because he's scared that they will. This is, this is so important when it comes to the things that are going on in your mind, your spirit, your heart, and the stuff that Satan tries to manipulate you with. Is The reason Satan picks on the things that he picks on is not because that they are areas of weakness, But it's because he is scared that they are actually areas of strength. He is scared to death that you will wake up one day and realize that he has been lying to you. Remember, Satan is a liar. He's the father of all lies. If he says something to you, it's a lie. It is not truth. Even if he uses truth to try to establish that. He does that to Jesus in Luke in Luke uh, 4 and John 4 when he takes him, the Holy Spirit takes him out in the wilderness. He uses truth to tell him a lie. The reason that Satan is speaking or putting things in our mind or pushing stuff into our world is because the end result is always 100% going to be a lie. He may use truth to try to establish it, but the goal is a lie. And so Sambalat's doing the same thing. He says, who are these poor, feeble Jews? Because it's a lie. He knows they're not poor, feeble. He knows they're going to get the job done. And he's scared to death. And Satan is going to do the same thing to you. He's going to tell you something like you're worthless, that you can't do this, that that you can't accomplish this, that you're not smart enough, that this is not going to work in the way that you want it to, that you're a useless person, that you're a failure, all these different things. And he's going to tell you that stuff because he is scared to death that if you ever capture truth about that very issue you will realize that that's probably where your strength is not not the your your weakness and he wants to hurt you and undermine you with 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 a lie he knew they were going to build this wall and what we've been looking at on wednesday nights is the emotional spiritual relational things going on our life baggage, history, all this other stuff, and how there are broken areas of our life that we're trying to rebuild. And Satan is scared to death that you might actually do it, that you might actually have health, spiritual, emotional, mental health, that you can look at some issue in your past and say, that doesn't control me. That doesn't define me. It's not who I am. I can have health. And Satan is scared to death that that might happen. And so he tells you, in fact, what I personally believe that Satan is doing when, he's, when he messes with us is he is actually showing us his hand. If you're playing cards, that kind of thing, hearts, spades, poker, whatever the case is, if you're, playing, if you're doing this, yes, I'm going to use a poker analogy um, to, ex, to exhort God. So uh, if, if you knew what was in your, the person across from you, if you knew what was in, your, in their hand, every single hand, you would win. You would win poker. You would be a wealthy individual because sometimes you would fold, sometimes you'd bet, do whatever the case is, but you would win because why? You know their hand. And see, I believe this is what Satan is doing is when he says to you, you are useless, and I'm talking about a specific area of life, and he says in this arena right here, you're useless. It's because he is showing you if you'll you'll look past the moment, you'll look past human nature, you'll look past the, the lie issue that Satan is, the liar that he is, if you'll look past that, what he is showing you is that is actually where he is the most scared of you. If you'll look past, well, yeah, maybe I am useless. Maybe I am hard. No. Put all that to the side and say, God, what is your bring every thought to God and say, God, I said it before you. I want it to be obedient to you. My thought to you. What is it? What is truth? What is reality? And then God shows you no, I actually made you pretty amazing right there. But Satan has been beating you down and controlling you for years in that area that you actually think that's your weakness. And it potentially is actually your strength. And he wants you to be beat up by it instead of the amazingness. I've got some friends years ago. um, Lynn and I went to uh, college with them. In fact, he was... He was probably Linda's closest friend in college. And uh, he, he marries a girl from his hometown, um, goes back into that area, South Texas, and he, he's a youth pastor. We were youth pastors at the time. We would go visit with him, hang out, um, vacations, that kind of thing. And they were just really close to us. And then about hmm, seven or eight years uh, into being a youth pastor, all of a sudden, just one day, he just like disappears. Uh, we didn't know what had happened. He wasn't at his church anymore. Uh, we saw when you're, when you're in a, a fellowship denomination or something like similar of God, you get this annual report, and all the ministers in there are on there, and it says who is left, and it had his name that he had been um, dismissed. From, it means his papers had been taken away. We couldn't find him, couldn't know what it, and literally like 10 years later, one day we get a phone call and from him, and he's telling us about what had happened in his life, and we, we literally didn't know. And what had happened was he had had an affair, he had left his wife, uh, lost his job at his church, lost his ministry papers, all this stuff, and just basically dropped out of sight and didn't want to have anything to do with people, this is my addition to this, he didn't want to have anything to do with people that truly cared about him and could help him. He, he ostracized uh, all of that group, and we found out through that. So now, it's, it's 10, 12 years later after that, and uh, now uh, him and his wife have a great Oh, he got back with his original wife and uh, fixed all of that. This took a lot of time. And then now he has a ministry where they minister to people that have been through um, adultery and all these affairs, different things like that. And they, they do retreats, conferences, all this kind of stuff for people that have been through this kind of stuff. It's amazing how Satan can beat you down and tell you that you are useless. When he, when he first had that affair... He literally thought his life was over, had kids, the whole thing, but he thought his life was over. There's no way that he could come back from this. There's no way it would, nothing would be beneficial from this. And it was actually him and his wife getting back together, which was a a major part was her uh, really working through this and and working on the relationship, doing some things and and making this work and then uh, establishing that he can minister again. He never thought he could. And, and now he has a very strong area, uh, arena to be able to speak to people in their, in their lives. It's amazing how, if we listen to Satan, we're done. If we listen to Satan, we're defeated. We're useless. We, we can't be used. We can't do this. We can't. If, because of if something that happened when I was a child, well, I can't now. Because it's something I was told over and over in my life. I, this is who I am now. And, 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 and Satan tries to tell us the things that are... Tr- that, again, in my belief system, please, please internalize this. The, the, way that, the, the area that Satan picks on you the most is, in my opinion, is probably where you're the strongest. You have the most potential. Because Satan can read human beings very, very well. And he knows us oftentimes way better than we know ourselves. And he knows if they ever capture this, this truth that Satan's defeated. And he doesn't want that to happen. He continues on. Do they think, he's telling this to the Jewish people, do they think they can build a wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? There's two things that has happening here. First thing is he says, do you think you can just get this done in a single day? Well, it's not the intention to do it in a day. Nobody expected it to be done in a day. That wasn't the plan. Never was the plan. But see, Satan is going to try to mess with you. He's going to try to lie to you and focus on where you're not uh, succeeding rather than where you are. So is it going to take a long time to finish the wall? Yes. And it's the same with us. There's things in our life that some are very quick. As soon as we get saved, the blood covers us. Some things are instantly changed and fixed. And some take a long time. Not because God's not Capable, but because we struggle, because we struggle mentally, emotionally, and sometimes it's it's an exercise kind of mentality. It's a a working out kind of thing. That that the reason that that you work through certain things is because it is strengthening you and building you up. Now, sometimes as Christians, we think, well, couldn't couldn't God just fix everything immediately when we get everything's done, everything's fixed, it's all perfect? God could, but that does nothing for us long term. Nothing for us. And you have to understand that a lot of what's going on right now in our life what you're dealing with right now is actually developing you maturing you um, uh, setting you up for eternity, not just this physical world this world 's boot camp for eternity we're being trained now because we're going to rule and reign with the Lord in eternity and we're being developed and trained now that's not comfortable it's not doesn't make us happy but that's the reality of it this, this is why I know this is a, seems like a Changes subject, but it's not. I really believe that one of the things that's very beneficial for us as Christians in our spiritual walk is physical exercise. I think it's healthy, it's well, obviously it's healthy. It's important for all of us to exercise. Why? Because God gives you a physical body that is a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That means physically the Holy Spirit operates through you spiritually. Your brain. Your body, everything. The better that you can make your body healthy, the easier it is for God to do certain things with you. Now, here's an easy way to prove that. When you're having a bad day, you've, you've, um, you haven't slept a lot, you haven't you know, had your morning coffee or what I don't know, all the different things, it's hard for you to get going and all this kind of stuff. The healthier your body is, the healthier your brain is, the easier it is to hear God, the easier it is to think about God. If, if, if you're not a morning person, it may take you the first hour of the day just to get going in a forward direction. What are the chances of you witnessing to somebody during that time frame, right? Some people I know, you can't witness to someone until you've had coffee. I get that. But, but there's some truth to that, right? Now, that's a drug to help us. That's not what I'm talking about. But you understand what I'm saying. Your body being healthy helps you spiritually. You'll pray better, clearer. You'll think better. You'll read God's word better. You'll be more motivated to do those things. The healthy you are physically. Well, it's the same thing emotionally, mentally, relationally, all this kind of stuff. It takes time. You've got to work through. You've got to build up. And some of the reason is because some people on this planet right now need you to be going in the direction of health so that you can help them wherever they are in the process. So that you can pull them along with you. You've been through something horribly tragic. You pull somebody else with you that is going through it right now that you went through 10 years ago. You help them through. Because why? You are stronger now because of that. So some of it is right now on this earth. And some of it is in eternity. Things that we don't even know yet. That God's developing us for. That we need to, we need to be growing and developing now. And so, so Satan will lie to you. Oh, you, you tried to get it done. It's already been a whole day and you haven't finished. You've been working at this a whole week, and you're still useless. But what we're doing is setting ourselves on a journey that can potentially take years. Take years. Think about this in the concept of marriage. We, we think, specifically younger couples, they look at older couples and they think, oh, they're old enough now in marriage, they got it figured out. So I took a chance during first service, and I asked Jerry and Luann in first service. They've been married like 63 years. Okay, they've been married l- longer than most of, of us in this building have been alive, right? Okay, now, with that, I mean, some of you, you're like, no, I'm okay, but, so I asked, I asked Jerry and Luann in first service, I actually asked Luann, I said, Luann, um, do you have a perfect marriage? And she said, oh, no, that's all you need to know right there, that's it, Why? Because it's always going to be, the journey. it's a journey that never ends. You're always having to work through situations, and you're both always changing. I, I, you know, you've heard me pick on this before. When, when married people say, well, this isn't the person I married. You're right. It's never going to be the person you married. Lynn and I saw some videos the other day of us before our kids were born. And our kids were watching it, and they were looking at this, and you could see this realization, hey, our parents were our age one time, because we were literally 20, 21, and uh, we just got married, and, we're, and, and finally, I think it was Emily, one of our kids, looks at Lyndon and said, you used to be so sweet, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> it's a journey, it's a process, see, this is where Satan will try to undermine you, you've been trying, you've been working on this for, for a couple of years, You're still a failure. Well, it's because there's no timeline. I wasn't supposed to have it done in two years. And Satan, you don't get to decide that. You don't get to decide where my health and where my health is not. You don't get to choose. See, he's trying to undermine him. He says, oh, you think you can fix these walls in a single day? The answer was no. We had no intention to. It's going to take a while. But see, then he digs the second way, and this one's the more important one. At the end of the sentence, he says, do you think you can finish this in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? See, he brings God into the picture. He says, you're going to God. The concept of sacrifice is committing it to God, praying, seeking God. They would sacrifice animals to do all of this. He says, do you think that just going to God and praying about this is going to fix this? You really think that's going to work? What's the answer? Yes. Yes, I actually do. You you think praying about this emotional thing you've been dealing with is going to fix it? Yes, I do believe that. Do you think you think praying about this abuse that happened in your past you think that's going to fix it? Yes. In fact, I'm depending on it doing that. I it's I'm desperate for that to work, and I do believe that it works. I had a guy years ago. He was um he's a friend of mine. We've been working toward. Uh, he he became the the uh, men's director in our church—he was a younger guy—and I'd been developing, mentoring, working with him. He's a good friend of mine too. And, and um, I didn't know this for a while. Somebody told me this a few years after it happened. But um, we, were, we were praying for people along the front of the church, praying for different needs, different things that were going on. And he was standing at the back, and he looked at one of our board members, and he said to our board member, "He said, do you really believe all this?'" Our board member said, "Believe what?" He said, "Well, they're praying. They're saying words up there, and they're..." They're putting hands on people and stuff. You really think any of that works? You really think that's legitimate? And the board member said, yes. That's actually why I'm here. Why would I be here if I didn't think that was true? He said, do you think it's just a bunch of words? He said, I don't think it means anything. That's sad. Now, I've had people ask. Now, I've also been through difficult situations and time frames of life where I wonder, do my prayers even work? Are these just words? Are they, they accomplishing anything? Is this real? Is it not real? Is God real? Not real? I mean, you go through that kind of thing, right? I understand that. But, but here's the reality of it. Yes, I do believe that. Do you believe that prayer can change a life? Yes. Do you believe that prayer can change the physical laws of nature? Yes. Do you believe that prayer really is talking to a a transcendent, holy, creator God? Yes. Do you believe it can fix emotional things? Yes. Mental things? Yes. Spiritual things? Yes. Do you think prayer can put families back together and marriages back together? Yes. That's that's what we are about. If If that's not true, what are we doing here? If, if, if God's really not there or we can't interact with him, any religion will do. The reason that we believe in, in, in that God is God of everything and that Jesus is our Messiah is because he pulls us into this thing. We can actually talk to a living God today and he does stuff. He fixes stuff. But see, uh, Sunbalot here is trying to say, oh, you think your little religious mentalities are going to fix this, going to make all this Right yes because it's life it's truth but see satan is just trying to lie to us he's just trying he continues on he says do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and and charge charred ones at that see one of the things we've been looking at on wednesday nights is how do the walls get fixed there's two basic sources one is the rubble at the base of the wall where the walls have been torn down. In other words, the rocks and the brokenness of the wall itself. That's, that's one of the places. In fact, that's where they get most of the resources to rebuild the walls. The second is they got a letter from the king from where Nehemiah came from that gave them the right to go to Lebanon and get wood from Lebanon, the, these big beams, uh, wood beams from Lebanon to help. And so, so Satan tries to tell us, do you really think from the brokenness of your life that you can build something from that? Because this is important. You've you you got to get this. You've got to establish in your spirit, all I can do is say this, you've got to make a decision about this. That's exactly what God wants to do with whatever brokenness is in your life. He wants to take what's already broken in your life and use that to fix. Now, he's going to bring from his resources too. And his resources are unlimited, they're abundant, they're, they're a, a perfect, and he's going to bring from him, and he's going to take what you have, and he's going to put that together, and he's going to rebuild the walls of your life. Right. But you have to get it here. You have, see, see. this is what we do, is we come up to a broken area of our life, and there's rocks, and there's charred, and there's whatever sitting there, and we just assume that's the way it's always going to be, that that defines this area of the wall, that is broken in my existence that's brokenness in me and this is what he's trying to ask see again satan's showing his hand he's actually looking at where the the most powerful point of this whole story is and he's trying to turn it the opposite and make it into a lie the most powerful thing that god can use in your existence in your life is you not not something else He's going to bring other stuff to it. That's what His Holy Spirit is, what the power of His Holy Spirit is. There's a lot of things that the Lord can do to bring to this. But He wants to take the brokenness that is you and clean those stones up and refashion those stones and put that back together and make you amazing out of the brokenness that you are. My friend that had had the the affair, he just assumed his life was done. Now he actually ministers to people out of that. Now, did God want him to have the affair? No, there's no. that was sin. It was, it was Satan defeating and all this other kind of stuff. But you don't have to stay defeated. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that, the, the, that this is an important thing, and, and specifically, well, I think for any age group. But as a youth pastor, I used to always think about this for teenagers, when teenagers were, were uh, getting sexually involved with each other. And then what do they do after that? What are they? You know, now, now they're getting older, and they realize Satan been lying to them. He took their purity, took their 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 the the only thing that they can truly hand to them to their spouse on the day of their marriage, and he, and he, and he twists that and perverts it and destroys it. But then, then allowing the Holy Spirit to actually make you pure again, the Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit can do that instantaneously, regardless of what your what your life has been. He can instantaneously. Bring purity back to your existence through the power of his Holy Spirit. Remember, he says that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can actually quicken your, your physical body, your mortal body. That's, that's a purity mentality. That's a, a restitution mentality. That's a regeneration mentality. That he can do that. But not if you've convinced yourself it's not possible. Not if you've convinced yourself that you are too broken Because of this event or this situation or whatever. I'm too broken. It can't can't happen. And the Holy Spirit is saying, but I can. So when Satan says to you, do you really think that you can take something from all this rubble and build something from this brokenness, these these cast aside rocks and the burnt and all this other stuff that's been completely destroyed, do you really think you can build something from that? What is the answer? Yes. 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 I can. The whole, now, I can't by myself. Jeremiah 23 tells me that I can't change me any more than a leopard can change his spots. But I do know through the power of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit can change me instantaneously on any level, with anything. He can bring back health in my mind. How I think about myself, how I think about others, how I think about God in my spirit, emotions, how I feel about things, how, how I react emotionally to stuff. God can fix anything instantly, instantly in my spirit, in my life. But I've got to go there. I've got to, I've got to step up to that area of the wall and begin to build. And that's where we struggle. That's where, that's where it becomes difficult. And this is why also <clears throat> we need other people in our lives. And we don't do this well either. This is the most consistent thing that I, that I struggle with when it comes to, to when, when I'm sitting down with it, people interacting, trying to help counsel and different things like this is, you know, the, the uh, verbiage, you, you, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. This is this is where I struggle as a pastor is. You need people in your life that you can talk to. You need people that you can interact with, that you can pray with, that you can open up your life and your spirit to. And we are just stubborn when it comes to this. We won't do it. We just won't do it. We just keep people at a distance. We won't allow the Holy Spirit to do this the way that He's designed it. And that's with people. And We're, we're so bad at this. Guys, we need I need you, you need me. I I don't want to go down this road too much, but we just buried a pastor two weeks ago that I was trying to help, but he wouldn't let anybody in his life. He wouldn't tell anybody what was going on. And I begged him for hours. I begged him, please tell somebody. Please get help. Please talk to, to your board. Talk to your staff. Talk to anybody. And his wife sat there in tears because he will not do it. And a week later, he took his life. When What does it take? So you gain everything. You gain the whole world, but you lose your soul in the process. What's the point? You fight for your way of life, and you end up losing your life in the process. You fight for your comfort zone and, your, and your, your desire to not let it out that you have problems, that you're struggling, that you're dealing with stuff, and you end up losing your life over it. What, would it, what does it take? And I know, I know, I'm going to be very pessimistic. I didn't do this in first service, but I, you guys are making me. I can, I can stand up here week after week after week after year after year after year and say some of this stuff. And some of you are so bullheaded, you will not let somebody in your world. You will not let. You won't tell your spouse. You won't tell somebody. You're going to do this on your own. You're going to hold this on your own. And it is destroying you. And there's, you're not, you will not get help. And it is destroying you. And 10 years from now, I'm going to be talking to your spouse about why you left or why you crashed and burned and trying to help them through it. Instead of just saying, I need some help. I'm struggling. I just need some help. And Satan is telling you, oh, you think you can fix it? And we go, I guess not. Guys, it's actually from the brokenness. It's from the brokenness. God can bring something powerful. he can do it. Don't don't let Satan tell you he can't. He can. This is, he continues on. To buy the Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked. That stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Satan tries to tell us the same thing. You're going to work on this. You're going to work on this. You're going to work on this. And when you're done, it's just just wishful thinking. It's all going to fall apart. And everything you've worked to fix, it's gonna fall apart. You can't, you think you're fixing it, but you're not. Guys, first life is tenuous to begin with. So that's why we buy into this. I get that. But what God builds and establishes is eternal. Satan, Satan can't tear it down. But you've got to get in your mind and your spirit that truth because Satan is gonna to lie to you about that. And he's going to continue to lie to you about that. So what does Nehemiah do? Verse 4. Then I prayed. Then I prayed. The end of chapter 2. Let me go to the, let me go to the end of chapter 2. This is, this is good. This is what he says. They're, they're attacking. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem are attacking. In verse 19 it says, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? You're going to try to rebuild this wall. They go through this whole diatribe there. Now you're going to try to rebuild this. And this is what Nehemiah responds in the last verse of chapter 2. And and Nehemiah replies to these attackers, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We will rebuild this wall. And what what is the end of the story? They rebuild the wall. And he says, the God will help us. We will, we're starting right now to rebuild this wall. And then this is the important part. he He looks Satan, the guys, right in the face. And he says, but you have no share, legal right, or historical claim here. Guys, Satan has no legal right over you. If you've you've given your heart to Jesus and he's covered you with his blood, and we're going to pray about that in a second. If you haven't, that's all you got to do is say, Lord, I give myself to you. You cover me with your blood. He buys you. He redeems you, and now he owns you. Satan does not own you. There's only two options for ownership. Satan, God. You are not ever the owner, Ever. If you're covered with the blood of Jesus, Satan has no legal right to your life. He has no legal right to your mind, to your heart, your spirit, your existence. He has no authority over you. And Nehemiah is telling him, you guys, you don't even have the right to be here. You need to go. And that's what we have, the ability, the authority to tell Satan is, you have no authority here. You cannot speak this into my life. You can't assess whether this rubble can be rebuilt because that's God's decision, not yours. You can't assess whether or not I'm going to be able to build this wall because that's God's decision, not yours. I belong to Jesus Christ. Satan, you have no authority here. So what does he do? He prays. He prays. When Satan tells you something, pray." I had this conversation with somebody just this week. There's power in the name of Jesus. When you're struggling with something, begin to say the name of Jesus. Just begin to say Jesus. Say it enough. Start saying it louder. Say it until it makes everybody uncomfortable. Satan will leave. Scripture says he will flee from you. Now, your coworkers may too if you get really loud. But that's probably not bad sometimes too, right? Begin to say the name of Jesus. I'm joking a little bit but I'm serious about it. Say the name of Jesus. When you get this thought in your head, I'm defeated. The name of Jesus. 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 You're feeble. You're nothing. You're washed up. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. You've been defeated. That stuff in your past is you. The name of Jesus. name. You are nothing. You are insecure, loser. The name of Jesus the name of Jesus, and to begin to stand on who Jesus is, because he's truth. Satan's a liar. And he prayed, and he said, hear us, God, for we're being mocked. Satan is picking on us. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may themselves become captives in a foreign land. And guess what the end of the uh, the big story called the Bible, guess what the end of that story is? Satan that is mocking you right now and messing you with right now and trying to tell you you're defeated, you're controlled, you're, you're, you're bound up, all these other kind of things, he is mocking you with lies about this. You're not actually bound up and controlled if you let Jesus set you free. But the reality is, is you have the right to say the same thing Nehemiah does. You put it back on Satan, and guess what? At the end of this thing, he's going to be bound up. He's going to be locked up. And he's going to be found out to be the liar that he is about everything, including the stuff that he's trying to tell you. And that's where we have the right right now to say, I don't have to be bound up like that. Satan, you're the one that's bound up, not me. You can't lie to me. You're a liar, and I don't have to listen to it. You're the one that's captive, not me. We have that right. Why don't you stand with me? This is what. No, 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 don't stand. Sit. Don't stand. That's what I say normally, but I don't want you because we're going to pray about this. I know. I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be a little difficult here. I understand this, okay? I understand this is going to be a little challenging <clears throat> because of everything I've been saying, all the stuff, the attack of Satan, the insecurities, all the different things. I believe that, that many of you in here, that Satan has been trying to mess with you and lie to you and mock you and, and tell you stuff and keep you beat down and keep you pushed and, and deceived in this way and deceived in that way. And and you know it's true. You know it's going on in your spirit. You know. What what I want us to do is I want us to pray for you with this and say, but, but God, you're bigger. Satan, you don't you don't have authority here. And so that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna pray about. And so here's where it gets a little difficult. Please just try. Just give it your best. If you're really struggling with something right now, we want somebody to pray with you. So I want you just to stand where you are. Now you're like, oh, why do we have to do this? We need the body to be the body. We need the body to be the body, okay? If you're saying, that's me. My head, my heart, my spirit, whatever. Satan's been messing with me. Why don't you stand? I'm going to take a while because some of you need to stand. And I'm patient. I know there's more than this. I know you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to either. But I'm telling you right now, part of the reason I'm speaking this is because Satan's been messing with me some about some stuff for a while. In fact, I'll just tell you, not the details, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast this week coming up. And here's the specific reason why. God, I need some breakthroughs in some specific areas. And God knows what they are. I'm not telling you. I need some, I need some breakthroughs in my heart and my mind. And I've been fighting against this in my own self for too long, and I just need God to just bust through it. And so I'm going to do some fasting this week about this, because I, I'm I'm desperate, I'm desperate for this. Anybody else? Stand. Come on. Get up. You can do this. Yeah. Come on. I really believe, and I don't think there's I don't think there's an over specialness to this, but I believe by standing. You you look at Satan and say what Nehemiah said. You're mocking me, Satan, and I'm standing to tell you you can't do this You're not gonna you're not gonna play me anymore. And I'm done with this. Okay, so so those that are standing near or sitting nearby or something, gather around these that are standing, and we're gonna pray. Guys, this is what the body of Christ does for each other. Is we need each other. I need you, you need me. And we need to pray for each other. So gather around these that are standing. As soon as everybody stands here, you'll be like, who is standing? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray what Nehemiah prayed. We're going to pray what Nehemiah prayed. Satan, you have no legal right here. You have no legal right. God, we come to you right now. And we recognize that you're the king. I'm not the king, you're the king. Satan's not the king, you're the king. Jesus, you're the authority. Your blood covers us. God, for anybody in here that that has not asked you to be in charge, get in their spirit right now. If that's you, just ask him, Jesus, forgive me, wash me clean. Make me right with God right now, Jesus. Cover me with your blood and make me right with God. Lord Jesus, we know right now, for anybody in this room that's done this, they they have been purchased by you, Jesus. They belong to you. Every person in this room belongs to you, Jesus. Don't belong to Satan. He has no right here. He doesn't have the right to say that to them. He doesn't have the right to try to convince them of that. He doesn't have the right or the authority to be able to manipulate and lie to them about that. In the name of Jesus, we stand against this. Lord, just wash through our mind and our spirits. Take out the stuff. Take out the junk that we've allowed to build up in there. The lies, the stuff. And then, Lord, we ask you to give us victory deep in our spirit. We need need this, Lord. We need your victory. That you are the one. That you are the one that's in charge. Satan is picking on us. He's mocking us. We don't want it anymore. We're done with it. We're done with it. I have been created by you, Jesus. I have been made special and unique by you, Jesus. That this day right now was made by you, Jesus. And I'm going to rejoice in this day right now, regardless if things are going well in my life or going horrible in my life. This is the day you created, and I will rejoice in you today. You gave me breath to breathe. And I will rejoice in you today. God, you're the victor of all battles. You can defeat anything going on in our life. You can fix things instantly right now in our lives. You can fix them. Relationship stuff, help us to go there. Spiritual stuff, help us to go there. Emotional, physical things, help us to go there that, you, that we don't want to hold on to our life. We don't want to hold on to our existence. We want to hand it to you. It's yours. You're, you're the one that's in charge. It's yours. In the name of Jesus, it's yours. God, our, our our baggage, our rubble, our brokenness. God, you can create amazingness from this. You can create some beautiful things from the brokenness that, that is us sometimes. Help us to see it, help us to believe it, to know it. That it's you, in Jesus. Jesus name. God I pray for us as a church body. Lord, I know you've already you've given us a great atmosphere around here. people that truly care. God I do believe that. Lord, we, we, we practice, we practice keeping people at a distance. God I pray against that in Jesus name. I pray against it. God, help us to open up to people. Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you for this moment right now. We thank you. Now fill us with your spirit, your power. Let let the, the oil of your Holy Spirit just begin to flow over our head. Down our body, our mind, our spirit, our heart. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. <clears throat> God, we thank you for this. noon tomorrow. God's going to give you the opportunity to tell somebody about him. Do that. Do it. And God will honor that in your life. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that they are here this morning. And uh, we will see you tonight at the baptism. Have a great rest of your day.